there's a fine line between reading the scriptures and and finding instructions for life and reading the scriptures and thinking that it is life. Did you know that there is freedom in Jesus? No. Do you truly know that there is freedom in the way we worship and express who we are as Christians? Maybe you have felt the shackles of indoctrination, or maybe you're tired of all the laws of religion. This week, we are talking with Austin Fletcher, host of the New Age Christianity podcast. We discuss the fear taught by religion versus the freedom of spirituality. We also talk about the mindset of being free in worshiping God and how we can break free of any stigma placed on our faith. It's going to be a good one. We are for the spiritual nomads, the outcasts, and the ones who desire to ask the hard questions. A shelter in the desert, a safe place to share our thoughts, our hopes, and our dreams. We are pursuing the truth, and we don't care about the answers. We invite you to come and sit at our table and be a part of our tribe. We are brave. We are bold. We are the Reckless Pursuit. Hey everyone, welcome to The Reckless Pursuit. My name is Cody. And my name is Elaine. And this is episode 73. Today we're talking with Austin Fletcher. Austin is the host of New Age Christianity and the founder of NewAgeChristianity.org. Austin, uh, we met him on our way back from a trip and we didn't meet him on the way back from a trip. We were on our way back from a trip, and we were looking for new podcasts to listen to, so we searched for New Age Christianity. Lo and behold, we saw ourselves in the search results, and right next to us... Next door neighbors. There was a podcast called New Age Christianity. He was before us, obviously, because the name of his show. And uh, we started listening, we're like, okay, this is cool, and we got more and more into it, and the more we listened, the more we liked, and so we're like, okay, we gotta find this person and message, message him. And uh, we found out that his name is Austin Fletcher, and we found him on Facebook, messaged him, hopped on a Zoom call, got to know each other, hit it off pretty much instantly, and we're like, we've gotta do something here. So Austin came on the show, and we're talking about Fear versus freedom, specifically just how fear is used uh, primarily in our church culture whenever we need to be teaching freedom. It's fantastic. He just makes some of the most bold points. Austin has this way of making you feel comfortably uncomfortable. And what do I mean by that? He has this way of sounding like what you're used to hearing in church, but it's not what you're used to hearing in church at all. Like, it's a completely different message, but it's said in this way that just, it encourages you to to seek and to ask, and it just draws out this natural curiosity. He's a joy to talk with and a joy to listen to speaking. Austin is very inviting in the way that he just encourages questioning and encouraging just digging deeper and, and diving deep into what faith means to you, what religion means to you, who God is to you, and he's really good at breaking down stigmas and walls and and not where you're you feel attacked, but more feel encouraged to to just completely understand who God is for yourself. Yeah, so we love this conversation. But before we get into it, a couple of quick announcements, especially regarding this show particularly. So you're sitting here about to listen to our conversation with Austin. 
but we recorded a conversation for his show as well. So in a couple of weeks, we will actually be joining Austin on New Age Christianity. So be sure to go and find all of our social and his in the show notes below. Go follow us on all of our outlets, and that way you can keep tabs and you can find that conversation when it comes out because it was an absolute joy as well, and it was really just a continuation of what we're talking about here Austin brought a lot of great questions to the table, and it was nice to be the one getting to answer questions and not just uh, ask them. So if you want to hear a little bit about Miami Lane's story and what New Age Christianity means to us, be watching out for that one. Also, if you haven't done so so far, we ask you to go and click that subscribe button. That way you get notifications every time a new show comes out. And of course, our new thing that we're absolutely passionate about we record a little bit of extra content at the end of these interviews. We call it the final five, and we send that out exclusively to our email subscribers. So if you're not on our email list, head over to therecklesspursuit.com forward slash subscribe. There you can join our email list and you will get that final five, that private video where this week Austin runs down a few tips on breaking out of uh, that fear-based mentality into true spiritual freedom. It's a really good one, and it's just there's a ton of other things you get to just by dropping your email there. So with all of that, let's get right to this conversation with Austin Fletcher, the host and founder of New Age Christianity. Hey, everyone. Welcome to The Reckless Pursuit. We are here with Austin Fletcher. He is the host of the New Age Christianity podcast. And uh, Austin, how are you? I'm doing awesome. How are you guys doing? Doing well, hey. doing well. So we uh, got to know Austin because it just so happens we were searching the term New Age Christianity uh, and we share a spot. So we are neighbors in iTunes. Yes. And uh, we started listening to the show really enjoyed everything you had to say and just the fresh spin that you had on so much, just the, uh, the lack of religiosity and just being able to be open and free with your conversations was fantastic. We had just left um, a place called Eureka Springs, Arkansas, and they're kind of like, if Arkansas has a new age hub, talking specifically like new age whatever doctrine, I don't know, whatever that is, uh, belief system, like that would be it. Mm -hmm. um, and so new age stuff's always like been interesting to us. We see a lot of parallels between the Bible and new age and just kind of how those parallel. We did an episode way back in the beginning of this. A long uh, time ago. It's probably extremely embarrassing to even listen to. So go listen to it and make fun of us online. <laughs> Your third episode. I listened Our to it. third <laughs> episode. Oh man. See, yeah, it was way back. It was good. I liked it. I, it with my I, I appreciate that. And we had no idea what we were doing. Nope. Now we're much better at faking like we know what we're doing. So uh, you had all the answers I approve of. That's all that matters. Hey, that works. Yeah. Cool. I was going to say, at, at least now we have experts that we're interviewing and because we don't know what we're talking about. So, <laughs> so anyway, uh, needless to say, reached out to Austin on Facebook. Um, <clears throat> He was uh, cool enough to message back. We got you talking, and here we are. So, uh, we'll just start off with this. What is a New Age Christian? Oh, boy. So, that has been, that's the whole reason I started NewAgeChristianity.org, um, is to try to answer that question. And um, it is, I think, the one of the earmarks of 
people of, of our uh, ilk is that for me to hand out a definition to a bunch of people and say, this is, this is what you are, um, we're kind of like, yeah, I'm not going to play that game anymore. And uh, so I've learned with this community that to have some sort of top-down official definition uh, in and of itself is the antithesis of being one, right? Um, so the New Age Christianity as, an, as a concept is my attempt to kind of um, let a, build a community of people that, that decide what that, what that answer is. You know, you asked, what is a New Age Christian? still being figured out. And I think that that is part of the earmark. So a new age Christian is someone who's journeying and somebody who's not afraid to ask questions. Um, and I'll do my best to kind of fill in the remaining blanks. But again, that's, that is by far the, the, the overarching answer is um, that this is not something that you're going to go find the statement of beliefs on, on the website, or you're not going to hear certain uh, dogma come from the top down. And uh, it is, that is first and foremost is a group of journeyers that aren't afraid to ask questions beyond that. Um, you know, new age Christianity, I almost named the organization new age of Christianity because it's not so much uh, directly about mixing new age religion and Christian religion. It is more a play on the reality that we are coming into a new age, the age of Aquarius. If you, if you studied, the ages in the Bible, you will see that the age of Aries or the age of the Ram was uh, during the time of Abraham and Moses, right? And then you get the age of the fishermen or the age of Pisces, which is the last 2,000 years where, you know, I will make you fishers of men. The Ichthu symbol, the fish symbol that has been throughout the church throughout the last 2,000 years is actually a, a reference to the constellation of Pisces. Um, and now we're moving into the age of Aquarius, which... You know, that song from the 60s, you know, this is the dawning of the age of Aquarius. Like uh, each age, there's kind of a transition period between them. And the transition period is anywhere from 80 to 120 years, depending on who you talk to. So we're transitioning between Pisces and Aquarius. And I think technology, what's going on church-wise, what's going on uh, socially is all the evidence that you need that everything in the human existence is changing drastically. Pick a subject and we're changing. So it's really a reference to... It's the new age of time. We find ourselves in the, in the transition between ages. Now, there are new age elements because they're true and we're not afraid of that. And so I think a new age Christian also kind of does hold to some um, elements of Christianity, namely Christ. And um, there is my favorite saying, if anything is true, there is a way in which it is true. And Christ is king, but there's a way in which he is king that I don't believe most Christians understand. And um, they make him king in the version of an idol and in a version of a work that people have to believe or else. There's something much so much bigger that he's actually like itself. He is the, the word made flesh, the logos made flesh. So there's an element of Christ. And then there is an element of new age uh, concepts. You know, we've done a couple episodes on crystals or, you know, lots, lots of things on energy and auras and stuff like that. It, there's references to chakras in our, in our discussions. I do major probably 70% towards unpacking the Bible in a new way and about 30% towards unpacking new age ideas. As the community grows, that, that balance may shift. But that is my best answer for what a new age Christian is. Um, and Beyond that, 
far be it for me to uh, <laughs> to overdefine so early in the age. I do think maybe fifty years from now there'll be a little bit more you know refined definition, um, and then you start getting. I mean, we're going to do the same pattern we always do. Every you know when Christianity started, you roll out into now you start getting denominations, you start getting different schools of thought, and you start kind of splitting up that pie because become, people become more refined. I don't view denominations as the, the great evil or the great Satan. I do view many of them as symptoms of stupidity. But um, as far as like the, this idea of New Age Christianity being more refined by subgroups over time, I think is very natural, and it's, and it's, and it's a good thing. It can be a good thing anyway. So, yeah. So I just have to ask, how much flack from Christian circles have you gotten for expressing those beliefs and talking about crystals and all the weird woo-woo stuff? Oh, my gosh. So depends on when you ask me that question. Um, You know, 12 years ago, I I had a personal experience that changed my life, and it made me kind of start looking at a lot of things inside Christianity and go, that's kind of shallow or bullshit or wow there's something there that they don't even realize is there like it, it's christianity's got a lot of great stuff that's just so so shallow and and then a lot of good stuff that they do well and they do really well and and you learn from that so i think for me 12 years ago i was uh disowned by my own by members of my own family i was uh disowned and and i was told by people who I administered beside for years um, that I need to either move on and I need either need to be quiet or I need to leave. Um, so I left because uh, that's never been caring about how big my ministry has been has never been my motivation. And then I would say in, in all honesty, I was kind of recounting this with a, uh, another communicator friend of mine, Ronnie Harima. And I realized about every three years I have gone through a massive shift that has essentially caused everyone in my life or everyone in my spiritual journey to kind of rethink whether or not they want to hang out with me. And, um, so, uh, I'm going through one right now and, um, and I won't, you know, get it. It's, it's arguably the most personal one at this point. And, uh, so I get a lot of flack started to get some feedback on the YouTube channels and stuff like that of, Oh, this is, this is some new age or pretending like they love Jesus and stuff like that. And, and it's, you know, the, the good old fashioned Bible thumpers always show their true colors in the end. Um, but it's, it's been a one difficult journey for sure. So before we get into the actual meat of the, of the topic at hand, which we hadn't even said what the topic at hand is here, but uh, <laughs> that's fine. Uh, what was that initial thought that you just kind of like that, uh, that first initial little um, truth bomb you dropped or thought bomb you dropped that made everyone go, Oh my gosh, what is wrong with him? <laughs> That made your church tell you to shut up or get out. Uh, it, yeah, it's surprisingly, and it's I'm so much further beyond that now, and it does. I kind of think back, and I'm like, wait, that was it? But it was that maybe Christ didn't die on the cross so that you could stay a sinner your whole life. Maybe, maybe he actually buried the sin nature that you died with him, and that Adam, that that Adamic nature, is no more. And that it's actually buried and that you have actually put off the old man so that you can put on the new. I, I was struggling with sin myself and I got to the point where I just got so tired of it that I decided to fast and pray. And I would either die of starvation or I would apprehend what I believe the, Christ, what the cross was capable of doing. 
I couldn't articulate it. I didn't know the verses. I just knew in my knower that there was more power to the cross than what I was living. And nobody could tell me what it was. Nobody could tell me the, the doctrine or any of that stuff. I just, I prayed the most pure prayer I've ever prayed. And 10 days later, I had an experience that still to this day, it's kind of like, it wasn't that huge of a deal, but I knew in my knower that I had gotten what I'd asked for. And it was a, essentially the truth of baptism and the burying of an old nature. And I'll, you know, in that specific case, the next time temptation came, I literally was sitting on a red light and I heard this voice, the same old familiar temptation, but I like turned around because I felt like it was somebody in the back seat or like to the side, like it wasn't inside of me anymore. It was outside of me. And it was just this realization that Christ actually did make it possible to live a sinless life and a righteous life. And it doesn't seem like that scary of an idea anymore, but man, it, I mean, people get scared when you tell them that you're actually righteous. They, they, they lose their control over you. And uh, that was the original one. I mean, I feel that I grew up in the Assembly of God circle, you know, kind of modified Pentecostalism. And it's always, you're a dirty rag. You're a dirty rag. You're a filthy sinner. And we were talking about this the other day of like, wow, no wonder prayer has no power because we're calling on God, but at the same time, we're cursing or damning ourselves mm -hmm. all the time. And God's probably up there going like, really? Like, how am I supposed to work with this? How am I supposed <laughs> to do anything? Like, you're constantly destroying, like talking down to my creation. So I actually, I love that thought. I love the idea of putting off the, uh, the sin nature where new creations, that is, Honestly, I love your story, and I want, I want to tell you, this is something I didn't just tell you the other day when we had a conversation. One of the things that drew me to you in general, Austin, is uh, you're the most not spiritual, spiritual person. And I don't know how to encompass this, but like you talk in a way that makes—and I'm, I'm speaking from someone who was like growing up in church, and it makes me happy, and I can just imagine what it would have done to me when I was like deep-rooted into like my traditional church baggage— it would make me extremely comfortable and extremely uncomfortable at the same time. And like, I just want to like congratulate you on that because I love it. Thank you, man. Because like you're using, you're using these terms that are like, oh, these make me feel good. But you use them in a way that's like, wow, I am really have some bad perspectives of my yeah. spiritual walk. Yeah. So props to you on that one. Thanks, man. Uh, so Diving into the actual conversation at hand, and we already have some other conversations for the future planned out. So if anyone out there is listening, like, oh, I really want to hear more about this new age Christian lifestyle. For one, uh, Austin has an entire site, podcast, everything imaginable dedicated mm -hmm. to it. So go find his stuff. For two, uh, we already have some plans to bring him back in the future to dive more into that at a more fitting and opportune season of the year. So if you guys know how we like certain seasons of the year and theming stuff, you can probably deduce what we're talking about. <laughs> uh but the big thing we wanted to kind of hit on today was talking about really just the fear-based um religion that we kind of throw out versus the freedom of true spirituality. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't even really know where to initiate this conversation other than just to say I think we can all pretty much agree fear is like the primary emotion we use to uh, like quote unquote evangelize, right? right? Like the entire evangelical church movement and really, I mean, even past that, really just church throughout history, it's been fear. So why fear? What What is it about fear whenever there's 
supposedly so much more to this whole Jesus God thing. So I don't know, man, I, I wanted to look up the author and I'll try to get it to you for maybe the show notes. Um, but I, there was a, a, a book that came, I came across not too long ago and something I had never understood until recently did you know that until 400 AD, the Hebrew alphabet did not have uh, vowels, right? So um, in 400 AD, it's recorded that there's different rabbis that were around at that time that basically said that's the year that God died. And the reason is, is because the scriptures didn't have vowels. And so when the reader would read the scriptures, they would have to insert their own vowels. And to give you a prime example for this discussion, the difference between the word fear and the word love is one vowel, right? And so there's a reason that in the Jewish tradition, they would ask questions like, why did you read it that way? What did you, what? Because it was viewed as a mirror of yourself inside of the Bible. So whereas you read it, you were illuminating what you thought. You were illuminating what you believed. And then you would have other teachers and other people saying, well, why do you believe that? Why did you read it that way? And so fear being the primary motivation is, I believe, the mirror of the fact that it comes from our basic assumption that God is different than we are, therefore we must be less than he is. Now, I believe God is different than we are because he is the universal mind, right? I am, an, I am not the universal mind. I have access to the universal mind through the Spirit. I, I can know anything that I desire to know. That's how the creative process works. That's how, what the scripture says, that we, we can freely know. Um, but nonetheless, I don't know everything. I don't, my neighbor is a, you know, he's a shade tree mechanic. He works out of his house. I don't know how to repair a big block engine. I could know that if I wanted to, but I don't. And so knowing everything and having the ability to know anything are not the same thing. So we are not the father, but we are exact representations of his likeness. And so we see that difference and it, and it equals in us that we are, well, he's different than I am, therefore I'm not God. I'm not, and I teach that it's actually, we should see our likeness and realize that is the very thing that makes us part of God is because without us, he doesn't have a body. Without us, he doesn't have individual expression. Without us, he doesn't have experience inside of time and space. So the fact that we're not the universal mind actually is the reason we should look at ourselves and see our I amness instead of our I am notness. And all that to say, it is that core assumption that even Eve makes, you know, when you eat of this tree, then you will be like him. So she saw her difference and didn't see it as evidence of, of oneness. She saw it as evidence of separateness. And so all of our human doings are filtered through this idea of separation. And therefore, when, you're, when there's someone bigger, badder, and better than you, then you're forever in this energy of trying to measure up. And that's why no matter how many times you, you quote the scriptures about being one with God, or I'm in you and you're in me, if you have a fear, or if you have a separation mindset, you cannot see scripture through love. I, I believe it's, it is inherently impossible. That's good. And I feel like separation mindset is maybe not intentionally, but almost exclusively taught, right? Like, and just as you're saying it, I'm like, I'm like trying to track through my own, you know, spiritual baggage that I've kind of accumulated. I'm just like, wow, like there is, 
this idea that I am one with God, it's told like, oh yeah, you're his creation. You're to to dwell with God. You're to to be in his presence. But it's never expressed of like, you are one with your creator. You are in him. And that separates you away from all of this sin nature, kind of like just going back to what we were talking about before we officially started talking about this topic. Like it's that, that sin nature is dead, but yet we identify so rooted in that. For me, when you look at the life of Jesus and for three and a half years, he says, you know, I only do what I see the father doing. I say what I hear the father saying. My work is to do the will of the father. And he creates this um, separation, if you will, between him and father. And then at the very end, he, in the upper room, uh, I think it's Nathaniel, who says, you know, show us the father and it'll be enough. It might be him or Philip. I can, I never remember. And he says, Nathaniel, <laughs> if you've seen me, you've seen the father. I and the father are one. And it's like, there's this inherent, like, guys, if you don't get it from inside, I can't give it to you. And it is, the, it is the white stone that no man can receive except, or no man can know except for him who receives it. Not even Jesus can give you your I amness. You have to receive it for yourself. And so when you, if, if that is our name, and I believe that is, I am, right? We, we are. And I cannot, I can't tell somebody your name is I am because the moment it comes out of my mouth, I'm trying to tell, you know, hey, his name is I am. The moment I'm saying your name, I'm talking about myself. It, has, it is a first-person reality that not even Jesus himself can give to you. And so he's doing what he can to, to draw this oneness. And at the very end, he's like, guys, you, you still don't get it. You still don't understand that this is, this is oneness. What comes to my mind talking about this is whenever Peter was walking on the water with Jesus, but then he realized like, oh, I'm walking on water and then had that, um, I, I'm almost like, not necessarily filthy rag, but just like that he was at one with God and then immediately like wasn't walking on water with Jesus. Like he realized like, oh, I'm not Jesus. Yeah, I'm not Jesus. I can't do this. I shouldn't have this power, but he had it. Right. And so that's just like what I keep envisioning talking about all of this. Yeah. The idea of, of it's literally in those moments of his doubt, he separates yeah. himself from that yeah. one. The doubt is kind of what led to that separation. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Mm -hmm. I've, heard, I've heard sermons, people, yeah. you know, that Jesus, that Peter lost faith in Jesus. <laughs> like it says, oh, you have little faith, or like, and the reference is mm -hmm. is kind of to Peter's faith, and it's like, um, I don't think Peter lost, like, has nothing to do with his faith in Jesus. It has everything yeah. to do with his faith in himself. Yeah, and like you were saying, like Jesus can't even give that to you. Like he said, hey, you can walk on water, but that doubt was like, oh, I, I can't do this, even though Jesus gave me the opportunity to. I I can't do it. You can look at all the, the ability to do miracles. You can look at the ability, whether, you know, pick a subject inside of Christianity and churchianity, and you can ultimately come down to, like, it's everything in this world, in the kingdom, is apprehended by faith. And mm -hmm. yet the subtlety of how works throws its way in there over and over and over and over again, that will you be able to walk on water when you, when you start living right? You know, or you'll, you'll be sinless when you stop sinning. Like, it's, yeah. like guys, it, yeah. it, it's such an identity first, then, then, you know, take care of the inside of the cup, the outside will take care of itself. What does fear or a fear message look like in the church? Because I think sometimes it's very obvious and then other times it's more, more hidden. Mm. So what is that, uh, what does that message come across? What are some modern, uh, ways the church is teaching that? I think, you know, beyond the sin nature side of things and sin management, 
number one um, is uh, end times for me. It's it is the the future end times. I if you listen to I can't remember. It was one of my early podcasts. Um, I, I kind of do an overview of preterism and the end times. And uh, there is, for those who have never heard of the idea, for 1,800 years, the church, all of the church primarily believed in preterism. And preterism is essentially that all the end times prophecies, including Revelation, or a vast majority of Revelation, all came true and have already happened in 70 A.D., when Rome destroyed Israel or Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, destroyed the genealogical records. So there's never been a high priest. There's never been a temple. There's never been a sacrifice since 70 AD. And the fact that it came true 40 days to the day from the day that Jesus said, not a generation will pass away until all this happens. And so if you, I think that, that number one is to me is the number one source of fear inside the church. It's kind of this don't screw up or you're going to get it. Um, and it's not just going to be hell, which is, I would say is number two. Uh, so the future end times is number one. And that one's just so practical on a tangible level. Hell to me is number two in the sense of that's more of a spiritual kind of deep fear. That's just always present. I don't know if you guys have done, I know we've talked a bit about your views on hell um, and love wins and stuff like that. I don't know if you've done any episodes on it, but uh, I would certainly challenge that traditional understanding of hell. And then I think another one is uh, Satan himself and the ever-present enemy concept. Because if you're always at war, then you do always have something to be afraid of. Um, but if you're living in, an, in a victorious world where there are no enemies other than your own, <laughs> your own creation, uh, which is a thing, um, then you realize, oh, wow, the only thing I got to be afraid of is being immature. And so, <laughs> yeah. so That's good. you know, I need to mature so that I can overcome this fear and that perfect love casts out fear. So let me grow in love and, you know, the rest is history. So touch on sin nature. What is sin nature and why is that the primary thing we're trying to control versus freedom? So I, a lot of people don't know because in English, it's kind of like, you know, a lot of people know the thing on love where there's, there's multiple Greek words for love, right? You know, agape, phileo, and all this stuff. Well, there's multiple Greek words for sin that often get translated as sin. But if you dig into it, you have different types, and I'll just kind of zero in on the two most important. One is sinful actions, and one is a sinful nature, who you are, that you are a sinner. And if you go study it, hemartano and hemartia, you'll actually see that uh, you can still hamartano, you can still sin, but that the, the nature, the hamartia has been done away with and light and reckon yourselves dead to sin, hamartia. Um, and so what kind of what baffles me is, you know, Paul says all things are permissible. Yeah, I don't yeah. know how many people are listening to this podcast who immediately wanted to jump in and go, but not all things are acceptable. <laughs> or not all things are right. beneficial or not all things... Yeah. Because we love to finish the sentence. And I, whenever I quote that verse, I don't finish it. Not because it's not true, but because we forget the first half. All things are permissible. Like, just let that sink in. That there is freedom that Christ came to give you from law. Freedom from law and rules and regulatory righteousness. And 
there are plenty of ministers out there handing out rules and regulatory righteousness and conditional righteousness. And I would say sin management. Here's how, you know, you get your accountability partner, you get your, you know, make sure you do your, you read your Bible, you know, twice a day and you need to go to church every Sunday and need to give. Oh, you know, and, and sin, by the way, isn't just, you know, a lack of morality. It's also, you know, not giving to the church and it's, you know, not, not, uh, you know, <laughs> Yeah. It's such a broad subjective definition. You know why it's so subjective? Because all things are permissible. And if you hand out free, what you'll find is that instead of sin management, what you'll find is that people are forced to develop their own freaking relationship with the Holy Spirit. Because when you give them a list, they have a relationship with a list. And their righteousness, their relationship, their flow is measured against the list. And it would be like being married to each other with your relationship being with your marriage contract, not with each other. Yeah. Mm, That's good. Yeah. I like what you said about how you don't finish that verse, not because it isn't true, but we tend to focus more on the, well, it's not all beneficial. It's not all good. It's not acceptable because I feel like that's what a lot of Christians or just what the church's motive is, is focusing on the negative, focusing on the sin, focusing on the bad things. But God's like, Hey, you have the freedom to do things like you, you can be creative. And I just feel like we don't really focus on the goodness of God as much as we focus on the badness of, of, of Satan or hell or sin. All died in Adam, right? Well, you didn't have a choice. You died in Adam, whether you wanted to or not. And so all died in Christ. And yet somehow we still preach that people have to make that choice. Otherwise, you didn't work. And so literally, the assumption is that Adam's death was more pervasive and more powerful than Christ's. That Adam's was forced on you, but, but Christ's, you know, you, you have to do something. And the reality is the opposite, that there is no one keeping a record. And there is, there is no, there's no thing that is keeping you from oneness with God other than your enemies in your own mind. So right now, my first thought of like, like the whole churchy background is, well, what about the devil? And I've heard your stances on this, but I want to share it on, a, on, a, to our group. So what, what about the devil? Oh boy. Um, you really want to share this with your group? I really yeah, want to share this. Absolutely. No, you're going to have me do it. So you can be like, well, we're not sure what you believe with what you agree with. No, I actually really like your stance on yes. this. I will yeah. go on record saying I, I very say, much appreciate it. was our favorite episode so far. So, oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that one. I, get, I have a few soapboxes, and that's one of them. And, you, and I kind of touched on it earlier. Like, as long as you have an enemy and you're at war, then fear, fear is a motivator. I mean, tell me you're in peace and love when you're at war. Uh, so if there is no enemy, and there is no war to fight, then what is, what is the work that is in front of you? And it's running a race, and it's, an, it's a maturity thing. But, so that's the big picture, but I, I believe, you know, so there's a few passages where uh, most modern definitions or uh, interpretations of the devil come from. Uh, Ezekiel 28 uh, and Jeremiah, Jeremiah 14, Isaiah 14. Man, I should remember that. Um, uh, one of them, he talks about, you know, you, we get the idea of Lucifer, which has, was, is not in the Bible. It's not the devil's name. It's actually from the Latin Vulgate 400 years after, Jesus, after apostle, the Apostle Paul died. Um, that it's, it's, the Latin word is lucid farrier or light bearer, you know, kind of to ferry 
something across the water. So Lucid Farrier turned into Lucifer. Um, and so that, that alone should tell you just how, how uh, weak the doctrine around Satan really is. Um, and for me, doctrine, it takes 50 verses to build a doctrine. It takes one verse to tear it apart. Because I do believe the scriptures cannot be, should not be broken. And so, you know, if, if there's one verse that kind of pokes a hole in what I think, then I revamp what I think until everything I think includes every concept that scripture gives me. And so the doctrine around Satan is so weak and so assumptive um, because we take these certain ideas. So Ezekiel 28, it talks about, you know, that it was a being in the garden of God. It had the, the nine stones and it walked amongst the stones of fire. I mean, that first of all, if you read both of those passages, I firmly believe they're talking about Adam, right? Because Adam was fits everything in those definitions. And so um, then you get into, I don't know how deep you guys want me to go on this, but <laughs> <laughs> um, then you get into the question of Jesus when he says that the devil there is a devil, there's a serpent, and he was a liar from the beginning. He's the father of lies. And so I'm not saying that there isn't a thing there. I'm definitely saying it's not what we've been taught. And so if it's not what we've been taught, but there's something there, then there must be a third answer, right? Because I'm, not, I'm not about, I've never been about throwing the baby out with the bathwater. And to fast forward to the end, I believe the opponent or Satan, the accuser, is the very thing inside of us that we, it is our I am notness. And that uh, if you go typologically to Jewish history, you have the Urim and the Thinim, which historically have been understood to be the white stone and the black stone, or representing the sun and the moon. Um, you'll, you'll see that Israel was ruled by this. The, it was the, the Urim and Thinim were inside the high priest ephod, and that was the judgment system. It was a yes-no binary system that judged Israel. And yet, in the, we fast forward to Revelation, and we're given a white stone with a new name on it, and the white stone being yes, I am, yes and amen, right? Not yes and no. So that Satan representing being represented by the black stone, and I am not, is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? So it's I am and I am not. And uh, that Satan is actually our own manifestation of I am notness. And it is the question itself of separation. And oh my gosh, I just fast forwarded through like a thousand different things. It, That's okay. You have a whole a whole uh, episode yeah. dedicated to that yeah. that people can go and find if they want to hear all the intricacies. We just wanted to uh, shock our audience. <laughs> right. But no, I really like that because I, it... It's so funny. I grew up, um, my mom was raised Pentecostal, and I used to hear from her family as well as her, like, don't mention the name of the devil or he'll come looking for you. You know, like, that was like a common thing. It was just taught. And right. I was like, as I got older, I'm like, why am I so scared of this thing? If it's if that mentality is defeated, why am I living in fear of something that has no authority? And then it kind of goes, and you touched on this in one of your episodes as well, of like, well, Satan's omnipresent, but he's not omnipresent. Like, he's always there and always <laughs> right. listening, but he's not always there because he's not God and can't be everywhere at once. Well, is he or is he not? Like, we've right. got to make some of us. We can't, and this is this is a big thing, and I'll let you share your thoughts on this too. A big thing that is the problem nowadays to me is everyone is attempting to take the Bible 
And instead of being okay with questions, instead of being okay with something that contradicts our uh, predetermined mindset, we do these mental gymnastics to fit the bill according to what our specific doctrine says. Mm -hmm. And so we take these scriptures, oh, well, you have one group saying you can't cut your hair or wear jewelry. You have another group saying that's completely okay. You can do what, like, you know, whatever. And you have these contradictions and really every single person out there is going to interpret things to their liking in some kind of fashion. Like it's a big book and it's full of a lot of things and there's so many different ways you can take so many different things, but it's just, it's used as a system of pushing agendas, I guess. And so do you have, I'm sorry, I'm ranting now. Do you have anything to no. say to that mentality? I mean, as you're talking, like the first thing I'll tell you, all things are permissible, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Right. So as, as I, uh, cause this, that one gets, I, I speak to myself on that one. I look at myself in the mirror and I go, all right, Austin, Mr. All things are permissible. You know what else is permissible? A bunch of rules, a, gr a group of people that wants to have a bunch of rules and control each other. I think it's stupid. I think it's a really bad way to live and I'm not a fan, but it is permissible. There's no, I used to have this kind of like in the back of my mind, like, oh, those religious people, those are the ones that made Jesus the most mad. So therefore, God's totally cool with this group because he's just loving, but actually it's the religious people that are making him mad. And I still, even as I'm taking it, like there's part of me that's like, that might be, still be true. There might be a hell for those people, but um, <laughs> you know, but the reality is all things permissible and there is a measure of, of grace for that. There is a fine line between reading the scriptures and, and finding instructions for life and reading the scriptures and thinking that it is life. And, and, and Jesus says that to the Pharisees, you know, you, you, you think you, you read the scriptures and you think that they are the source of life. And he's, and I'm, I'm literally standing in front of you. You don't understand the role that the scriptures are meant to play in your existence. They're meant to be a tool and a refiner and they're not meant to be the source. And that to me is, I'm interested in finding people who kind of inherently understand that. I, I, can, I can cross biblical swords with some of the best. I'm not the best. I used to be a lot better because I, 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 man, I used to devour that thing just hours and hours a week, if not a day at times. And, but I can still hold my own pretty damn well. And there is kind of this inherent, like, if I can just feel when somebody's trying to find life in the scriptures or if they're trying to find life in a relationship with God himself. And it doesn't mean that, you know, again, all things are permissible. It's just not one of those energies that I try to spend too much time with anymore because I'm just, I don't know. I got better things to do. <laughs> so you mean it's okay if you don't read your Bible every day? I tend to think so. Yes. <laughs> I, I, well, I know I a lot it. of people are like convicted of that or like, oh, I need to read, read my Bible, especially like within youth group and high school kids. Cause I know I used to, I used to feel like, oh, I'm, I'm a bad Christian or I'm sinning that I didn't read my Bible. But then I felt like, well, that's a wrong reason to read your Bible. When you have a relationship based on fear, it, it it's not a relationship. I mean, that's, that's why people stay in abusive marriages. That's why people stay in like these terrible situations because they're afraid of the repercussions for stepping out of line. And I prefer not to view the creator of all things 
as um, an abusive husband to his bride. I just sure. I don't think that he uh, follows the rule of thumb where he can beat us with a stick. I don't think that's God. And if that is God, maybe we, if that was truly God, I just for one, there wouldn't be life in that period. And why would you worship something like that? Why would you want like that's the epitome of if you're worshiping a God? And I'm gonna just okay. I'm gonna say some rush. If you're worshiping God based on fear, in reality, you're kind of worshiping Satan, the idea of Satan, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, is that, I don't think I'm too out of line with that. I mean, you're, you're worshiping literally fear and this, yes. this brashness, this, this attack. And so what are, uh, what are some ways people can kind of identify that fear at work in their lives? Oh boy. So I'm about to do a, a episode on judge a message by its fruit. And, uh, the number one thing is, is if you're, if you're hearing a message of any sort. If you're hearing, and here's the thing, let me just super big caveat here. The message, judging the message by its fruit is not about, um, you know, okay, I'm going to judge Joel Osteen's message by his fruit and I'm going to look at his flock and I'm going to measure how mature they aren't, right? Um, because that's, I mean, that's what we do. Uh, what it is, is judge message by its fruit in you. And here's, all the evidence you need that it has nothing to do with the guy saying it or the girl saying it or the book you read is Jesus himself had the a perfect message. Would we all agree? Mm-hmm. And yet one out of 12 of his apostles didn't do so well with it. It didn't produce the best fruit in him. That's, that's all you need to know that judge a message by its fruit cannot be about judging the speaker. It is about where you're at in your life in that moment. Are you at the right place to hear this word? Are you at the right place to understand this concept, to learn this lesson? I have plenty of things that I would like to tell people that they're not ready for. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, that's what Jesus said to the apostles in the upper room. There's so much more I'd like to tell you, but you can't handle it. So the fruit that you need to judge is in your own life. So what is that fruit? Well, there's this really convenient list. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, long-suffering, the fruits of the Spirit, right? The fruit of the Spirit, if you're hearing anything and you're not getting love, joy, more love, more joy, more peace, more patience, more kindness, more gentleness, then you should check yourself. Not check, check the message too, but check the message in yourself because there's something that it is producing. If it's producing works and fear-based righteousness and condemnation and guilt. There's now therefore no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. So you know those energies. And uh, I would, I, there's kind of this big overarching thing that just drives me nuts. And that is this, this supposed to be the gospel. And it's supposed to be, the gospel means news that is too good to be true. And so when we approach tr- people on street corners and they roll their eyes, we're doing it wrong. Like there, there shouldn't, it should be so incredibly easy. The burden should be so easy and so light that it should be, oh, wait, that's all I got to do? Wait, that's, that's all it is? Well, yeah, I, I kind of already live that way. Yeah, you do, don't you? Because you are made in his image and likeness, because you are forgiven, you are loved. And all the only thing about recognizing it has nothing to do with pleasing him. He's already pleased. It has everything to do with realizing all that other bull crap that you've been fed, all the guilt and all the, and all the shame and all of the you're not good enough stuff, this is so easy that that stuff should be the, what falls away. And, um, and, and so 
inside of church, if you're leaving a church service or you're done reading a book and you just get, you got, you walked away with something you need to work on. Sometimes it's appropriate. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes, sometimes it's righteousness. Sometimes it's works, but um, you have to judge that for yourself and you have to understand the muscles of freedom because chances are that you primarily understand the muscles of, of works-based righteousness, the muscles of fear. And um, find somebody in your life that you see as being more free than you and let them influence you and grow in your freedom because, you know, and it starts with small, but all things are permissible. And the more freedom that you can feel when you leave a place and when you hear someone speak, that is the fruit that you should measure, I believe. I love that. I just want to put my finger on that for a second, kind of like a practical example of this. You hear people of, oh, I'm going on a, a, a media fast. I'm only listening to worship music, right? I was a worship pastor for years and years. Like I've done that for 10 years of my life and I'm only 25. So that should kind of sum up like worship music can be the most depressing crap to me. Uh-huh. Just being blunt. Worship music can be so depressing and wear me out. There are times that it has given me something and I needed to hear the certain message for the certain song. There was times whenever she was in the hospital, there was one specific song that I had to keep on repeat because it was what breathed life into that situation and gave me the the confidence I needed to uh, to continue to pray healing over my wife, to continue to speak that, to be, continue to speak positivity into this situation instead of letting my fear overtake me. But for the most part, I get more life out of instrumental music. I get more life out of so many other things. I get more life in my own private studies than I do from church services. And I think that if we get rid of this stigma of, well, there's three ways or four ways you can uh, you can receive this message. Like, oh, if there's only a few specific ways that you can bear those fruits. And I love, love, love what you said. And I just want to re-bring that to the surface of you measure those fruits in yourself, not in others. Because really, when you start measuring fruits and other people in essence it's it's comparison it's it's just uh it's a comparison to them to what they're doing it begins really it just it tears you down even more because you're judging yourself based on someone else's merit and that becomes works just like you said and even more so to me is it it's gossip you know right and i i love i'm just gonna plug this in here because it's one of my like favorite little things that i coined so like i take credit for this but uh like in uh, working in a church atmosphere, it was funny how much we taught against gossip because when church members talk, it's gossip. Well, whenever church leaders talk, it's tending the flock, right? <laughs> and so uh, it, it's just it's it's a common thing. Churches is bad. It's bad with gossip. Yeah. It's bad with talking negatively about these people who we're trying to build up. It's we especially talk about, other churches. Yeah, other other that's Christians. A, that's a whole other thing, right? But. Whenever you take your focus off of what they're doing or not doing or how they're doing and quit tearing them apart for all their little things and focus on, well, where are my fruit right now? If we would all start doing that, think of the fruit we would actually bear. Think right. of the joy, the peace, the life, you know, the the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the gentle, meek spirit we would have. Think of what like maybe Christianity would be taken a little more seriously in this day and age. You know what I mean? Right. Maybe we wouldn't have Christians out there scared to death of calling themselves Christians. Mm-hmm. I love how at the very end of Jesus's ministry and the very end of his time on earth, at least recorded, um, is kind of that little nugget of when he's talking to Peter and Peter asks about John and, and Jesus is like, what's it to you if I want him to live forever? Like that, 
What does his journey have anything to do with you? It's one of the very last things that happened. And it's like this little nod to like realizing like, yeah, for the next 2000 years, you're all going to really kind of struggle with judging each other and trying to measure yourself against each other. And that's not how this works. Yeah. (laughs) That's really good. So what's been the most freeing thing that you've learned on your spiritual journey through all of, all of what we talked about? The most freeing thing. I mean, no, again, if anything is true, there's a way in which it is true, but I would say just truly, truly sinking into all things are permissible. Man, the judgment just falls away. And it really does become a significantly more intelligent conversation about, well, let's talk about premarital sex. Let's talk about homosexuality. Let's talk about drug use or alcoholism. Let's talk about, about any thing. You know, I mean, we have so mixed uh, spirituality with politics these days. And you know, it is very easy to look at political positions as being morally right and wrong or spiritually heaven and hell. I mean, if you can just drop those barriers of realizing, yeah, all things permissible. So let's have a conversation about this political thing. And I can, because what it is, is you realize how subtle your fear of new thought or new ideas is because you think that there's this list of things that aren't permissible. You think this, there's this magical list out there that is always moving because life has told you it's never the same. I use the example of, you know, maybe spirits working on me to be generous and spirits working on you to be frugal or wise with your money. And we're both walking by a homeless man and I'm usually really stingy and you're, you're a bleeding heart, right? Spirit tells me to give him 10 bucks and tells you not to give him 10 bucks. I ignore spirit. You ignore spirit. You give him 10 bucks. I don't. The homeless man got his $10 and from the outside, it looks like everything's fine. God wanted him to have $10. And yet the reality is that it was an utter failure. So we, we know that it's not about a list, that it is about a relationship, that it is about that moment by moment leading and that what's good for me today may not be good for me tomorrow. What's the right decision today may not be the right decision tomorrow. And that scares the shit out of people because they can't control you. And as a matter of fact, you can't control yourself when you live like the wind. Those who are born of spirit are like the wind and we really like predictability. We really like control and we really like to have that list. You find eventually, once you remove the bars off of other people, the hardest person to remove the bars off of is yourself because you have your domestication process of what you were taught, right? You know, I mean, there are subjects that the world is pushing into that Christians are having conniption fits about and yet all things are permissible. And so that is one of those, it's kind of a mantra in my head, not because I'm looking for permission to go do stupid stuff, but because I'm realizing it's not about finding permission from any cosmic, you know, judge. All judgment's been given unto Christ and he judges no man, right? So that's, that is the, the major source of my freedom is that little mantra. Um, all things are permissible. And uh, no, if you look at my life, I'm not living this extravagantly amoral life. I am very much still on the external. I'm very much still Christian in a lot of ways, but um, the heart position of it is, is as free as I've ever been. Well, and I think, and I, I don't ever intend to put words in your mouth, but I think just kind of what I'm receiving from this is whenever you live in a way where you're no longer, and you said something control and, and you talked about how controlling yourself. And I think a lot of times we don't view as 
self-control, we think of self-control in the sense of, oh yeah, you know, self-control, that's a good thing. That's, you know, it's fruit, but it's not self-control in the sense of being your own dictator, because a lot of times when we take on all this control, we eliminate any room for God, right? right. We, el we eliminate the, the room for the Holy Spirit to say, hey, this is what I want of you. This is what I'm doing. And it's self-control is really giving ourselves over to, like you said, to the wind, to the spirit in essence. And, and you say all things are permissible, but in, in my mind and the way I receive it is when you're giving yourself over to the permissibility for God to do anything in your life, that doesn't mean it's an excuse to be immoral. What it's actually justifying is that you're giving God that freedom to work fully. I mean, between Jesus and the Old Testament prophets and everything, like um, Hosea, right, married to a prostitute, right? That that that's totally immoral. That is that is that is the definition of of you know death by you know penalty of death in Jewish history. Or Jesus, um, you know, anywhere from the silly things like not washing their hands when they eat, or touching dead people, or you know the woman with the issues of, issue of blood, like all of these, you don't realize just how quote unquote immoral they were. The ones that actually did some stuff for God. Um, immorality, uh, even that I'm not, I am certainly, this is a fine line because there's an energy to it that people can hear me and say, Oh, he's saying, you know, just, you know, just go do whatever. No, I think there's some natural consequences to a lot of stuff, but it's not, God coming down and judging you and saying, mm, now that you just did that one thing, I can't be in your presence. I can't be in the presence of sin. Well, if that's the case, then Jesus wasn't God. So you need to check your beliefs on that. You check your logic on that one. Um, you know, so being in the presence of sin and all this stuff, it just, mm, I, it, it irks me. The, the lack of thinking, I mean, stop and think of what you think about the devil and you realize, oh, I do kind of think he's everywhere, but he's not God, but he's omnipresent and kind of can, is all powerful. And God wins, but he hasn't ever won yet because we're still fighting the devil. So, yeah, maybe the devil is more powerful. Like, I was watching uh, Good Omens on Amazon. Uh huh. And, we haven't uh, got into it yet. We're one, too. <laughs> well, it's, it's one episode where it's the angels and they're talking amongst themselves. And they literally say, like, we haven't won yet, but we do win in the end. <laughs> yeah <laughs> you're like oh, Good I guess that is kind of christian theology like <laughs> yeah. the devil keeps winning but eventually yeah. right it's like oh come on anyway you may have won the battle but you haven't won the war mentality right <laughs> the devil knocked me down but bless the lord the good is around the corner <laughs> yeah i think there was even a thing like because of that future end times thing like and the devil kind of wins this time too mm -hmm. but but we eventually win someday and yeah. like, they keep the After, angels keep calling. It's just the plan is ineffable. You just can't understand it. Right. <laughs> That's good. So, Austin, what is uh, one question you'd like to leave in the minds of people trying to break out of their fear mentality? How powerful was the cross? Mm. Man. I got chills, honestly. That's good. <laughs> That's a good question. That's good. And it's a belief thing. Mm -hmm. how, how, how powerful do you believe it was? Because if it's more powerful, than Adam, then you've already won. If it's less powerful, then you still got some work to do. I know that because I asked that for myself and it changed my life. That is some heavy stuff right there. So with that, 
Austin, where can people find your show, get access to you? I know you have a community. Where where can uh, people get involved in New Age Christianity? Well, thank you. Yeah, we've got a Facebook uh, community. Uh, we have a public page, and then we have a private group for uh, interaction. Uh, NewAgeChristianity.org is the website. And then the New Age Christian Podcast is on all of your traditional podcast channels. Um, you know, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, iTunes, all that stuff. I know we've talked about connecting more and more as well. Um, so it's uh, I'm looking forward to seeing our communities uh, find each other and, and find a lot of uh, you know there's a little bit more of a new age flavor I think on our side of the on our side of the fence, but we're still a lot of former Christians who've who've just kind of come this far. So I'd say that's probably ninety percent of us. Um, so yeah, love to uh, get to know you guys and uh, your peeps. Looking forward to it. Absolutely, and everyone listening, all of. Uh, Austin's links are in the show notes below where you can find everything he's got going on. I'm a personal fan of the show. Mm -hmm. We're iTunes neighbors, so if you look up New Age Christianity, uh, you'll be in our neck of the woods. Uh, (laughs) We're different links of the chain. He's a little further down the chain than we are, but we're all on the same journey, and I think that this is just a mutually... I I love connections where it's not just one-sided. It's a mutual thing where we can serve... Mm-hmm. each other yeah serve yeah. each other and serve the people that are drawn to to both of us and offer something to give so austin thank you so much for sharing we have more stuff coming uh with austin in the future and until then we'll talk soon man all right sounds good thanks guys we just want to thank austin again for coming and sharing his heart on this i love so much what he was saying about just the freedom of christ and how Just what does the cross mean? If Jesus died for us, what does that mean? And are we living in the freedom that he gave us? Or are we still stuck in in what happened before? Are we still stuck in the, the bondage that he came to free us from? I just love that. Make sure to go and find Austin. Find New Age Christianity. If you search it in iTunes, we're right there next to each other. If you're part of Nomads, our community, which if you're not, you need to be, go down the show notes below. Find us. His group is linked up in there as well. It's the private community for New Age Christianity. They got good stuff going on in there also. And as always, if this episode resonates with you, we ask you share it on with a friend. That's the best way to keep the conversation going. Also, we have that five extra minutes of content, the final five. If you want access to that, go over to therecklesspursuit.com forward slash subscribe and join our email list, and we will be sending that out. A final five minutes, a few tips Austin shares on breaking out of those mindsets of bondage and getting into true spiritual freedom. It's great stuff. It's fantastic. I love what he had to say, and I want you to see and to hear it. If you don't mind, go down there and click that little box. Give us a few stars, whatever you think we deserve, and write a review. That's the best way we know how to continue to serve you guys better and how we know what we're doing right. And as always, be brave, be bold, and be reckless. We'll talk soon.